Good to be back. Lovely to see you. Thank you again for inviting me back this year. Jill, sorry she can't be here. Um, She's babysitting our two eldest grandchildren in Bath uh, for two or three days, and then she's going to Bournemouth to babysit our youngest grandchild. (laughs) So I'm going to see her, I hope, on Friday. (laughs) Uh, So it's, it's a special privilege to be with you today. I don't know if you've been thinking a lot about the international situation and the national circumstances in in which we find ourselves at the moment. Um, I want to talk, by by way of introduction, uh, about sweeping changes that were happening in the ancient world because of the work of Babylon and the Egyptians. There was a, an Egyptian pharaoh, I suppose we'll call him, called Nico, who was responsible for the death of one of the um, Israeli kings, a guy called Josiah, who had been a very good king and used by God remarkably. Um, because of the death of Josiah, the situation in Israel became very fraught and uh, they lacked an army that was efficient and so they gradually began to lose their particular place in the world at that time and then the Chaldeans who were whose most famous king was probably Nebuchadnezzar began to encroach on Israel's northern border and the whole thing became very unstable and became a great sort of mess. Within Israel at the same time, there was a a rampant inflation began to take place within their currency. So men who thought they were rich suddenly became poor, and those who were poor became poorer, as you might expect in such a situation. Religion, which had been preserved in a sort of outward form for many years, began to disintegrate. And the whole cohesion of the nation began to come apart. I don't know if that reminds you of anything in our own recent history. But you will recognize, I think, that there are particular pointers towards a very unstable situation at the moment. And I've heard things said about the parliamentarians in our country in this last week even that I never imagined I would ever hear. Uh, said about folk who were involved in our parliament. It's because of that, and because of the parallel with the time of Jeremiah, that I want to spend these few months, God willing, in looking at various texts and various situations that Jeremiah faced during his lifetime. So we're going to read part of chapter 1 this morning of the book of Jeremiah Uh, He gives a little bit of his history in verse 2 of the first chapter when we're told that the word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, (coughs) down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. 
And that little summary covers 40 years. Jeremiah began preaching, as we can tell from the, the date which he gave there, the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. He began preaching in, 720, in 625 B.C. And at the time when he finished in chapter 43 of his book, he had been preaching and prophesying for 40 years until 586. And 586 was the date of the fall of Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar. Because the Jews had felt that because they were the people of God, as they recognized from the fact that God had chosen them to be a nation peculiar to himself, they sort of felt that they were secure, that they could live however they liked, and that God would somehow or other continue to rescue them from their enemies. As long as they repented, that was true. But during the time of Jeremiah, in spite of his preaching for 40 years, they didn't repent, and God gave them over to captivity. And they were carried away into Babylon, probably about 2 million of them, and they were taken away in bondage. And it was 70 years later when 42,600 came back. It was that particular remnant, one of which tribes was the tribe of Judah. And it was from that tribe of Judah that the Lord Jesus was eventually born. Because God preserved that remnant of his people and allowed them back into the land of Israel in order that the Lord Jesus might be born in the right place at the right time. <coughs> and it's a wonderful period of history if you just look at it uh, from the scriptural point of view. This selection of this particular tribe so that there would still be Jews in Jerusalem and Bethlehem when the Lord Jesus came to be born. So that's the background to what we're going to study. And I know you had a, a long look at the prophecy of Jeremiah last year in your groups. I was actually going to preach on the kings of Judah until Thursday of this week. And uh, this just came to me with enormous force. So I hope it comes across from that perspective as we get, begin to explore this book again. So from verse 5, or verse 4 then, uh, of the first chapter of Jeremiah, we read the word of God saying this. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and the plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? 
I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I'll pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness and forsaking me and burning incense to other gods and in worshipping what their hands have made. And that will be sufficient for our reading this morning. The qualifications for a prophet were not very significant. Just two things were required. They had to hear the word of the Lord and they had to declare it fearlessly. The word which we normally apply to a prophet is we're thinking about someone who foretells the future. That's not really the biblical view of what a prophet is. The biblical view is that he is a man who foretells the word of God. He declares what God says to the people. And in some instances, that will be a foretelling. But more frequently, it will be a requirement for repentance and a return to God and to his ways. And it appears to me, and I suggest to you this morning, that that's really what our nation needs. We need to get back in touch with the Lord. The reason why we're lost and fiddling about with various aspects of our national perspective is because nobody ever thinks about inquiring of the Lord what they should do. And we're living in a, at a distance from him. We're living apart from him. And very often that's a reflection within our own lives and our own circumstances as well. We're out of touch with him. We don't know what to do. And during my studies on the kings of Judah, I was going to start with uh, Ahaz and begin to look at his ver- the various folk that arose from him. But one of the things that it says so frequently in those early kings of Judah is they threw out the, up their arms and said, Lord, we don't know what to do. We need you to intervene. We need you to get involved with us and, and tell us what to do and shape our future according to your will and to your purpose. And it seems to me that we're right there as far as our responsibility to the Lord is concerned in our generation. We need to get back in touch with him, my dear friends. And we need to recognize his word for our generation. We need to have an awareness of what he says. Now you'll notice how the story of Jeremiah begins here in verse 4 of the first chapter. And I'm going to awaken Hazel again and ask her to bring up the, the text. Because it's just the word of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord that comes to Jeremiah. It's not his own notions. It's not his own perspectives. It's not his own wisdom. Indeed, he's going to say to the Lord, I'm only a child. It is thought he had just turned 12 at the time when this prophecy begins. So he was telling a lie because he was no longer a child. He was recognized in the Jewish circumstance as a young man. Because as you know, at 12, a boy accepted the responsibility of manhood. Still the same today at the Bar Mitzvah. 
So here, the Lord speaks to him, and God speaks to him very directly. And this is it's just an amazing series of statements. It says here in verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's a remarkable statement, isn't it? I suppose you sometimes think you're a, a chance collection of protoplasm. That an egg and a sperm came together in your mother's womb and you just happened. This scripture would teach something entirely different. You were actually created by God in your mother's womb. It wasn't a chance event. And the various aspects of character which each of us displays is part of God's design, both for ourselves, for our families, for our world. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Further, before you were born, I set you apart. The word to set apart means to be holy. It's generally translated as being holy in the Old Testament. And God says to Jeremiah, I set you apart. I, I, I set you apart for my purpose before you were born. I can almost see Jeremiah scratching his head and saying, I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know that this was a requirement you were going to place upon me. I didn't really realize that you had set me apart for your purpose before I was born. And then further, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So here's this young fellow suddenly discovering in a word from the Lord at the age of 12, and we'll assume he's that age at this point in time, that God has set him apart and has got a job for him to do. You might think to yourself, well, this is stretching things a bit. Or you might think to yourself, well, I'm not like that. I want to read you a verse from Ephesians chapter 2. And you know this verse. But I think it illustrates so clearly something of what the New Testament perspective of, upon this is. This is verse 10 of Ephesians 2. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5? Exactly the same perspective. Created in Christ Jesus, you and me, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here's you and me, and we're sitting here in Great Parks this morning, and there should be a dawning realization that God has got a particular thing for each of us to do. Good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. I can remember when I began preaching, and you might find this a little bit hard to believe. I was asked by an uncle of mine at the age of 14, if I'd go to a little church outside Cumber and County Down in Northern Ireland and preach for 10 minutes before my uncle took the main part of the service. 
And he said, Peter, we're going to go there for three Sundays. And I said, well, I'll come with you for the three Sundays. So off we went. It was about eight miles from home. We went in my uncle's little Morris 8. Some of you may remember them from days gone by. And this little church was in the middle of a field. And we were there in the month of February. There was snow on the ground. There were five people in the church. My uncle and I and three others. So I had agreed to do the beginning of the service for my uncle. So I picked two long hymns. So we had the two long hymns and a prayer in between. And I had decided I was going to preach on Luke chapter 15. I was going to preach the first Sunday on the lost coin. And preach the second Sunday on the lost sheep. And preach the third Sunday on the lost sons. And I got through all three sermons and the two hymns and the prayer in 12 minutes. So I apologized to my uncle and said to him, that's me finished. I said, I'm not coming. That's not coming next week. He said, you promised me you'd come next week. So I went the next week and the following week. And towards the end of the third Sunday, on the way home in the car, my uncle said to me, you do realize the Lord has given you a gift, don't you? I said, What? I said, he said to me, he said things at all three Sundays I had never thought about and I've been preaching for 40 years. And I said, well, what, what does that mean? He says, it means that somehow or other God speaks through you. And I was so humbled by that. In fact, it brings me to tears this morning. My uncle's now 91, he's still alive, he's living in Newbury. But I, I thank the Lord that I ever knew him. And this young man recognized that God had a purpose for him. And I want to impress that particularly upon each of us today. Even though you might feel that you're not very significant as far as God is concerned. According to Ephesians 2.10 and the fifth verse of Jeremiah chapter 1, God has got a purpose for all of us. Specifically, and for which he has fitted us specifically. God has a purpose for us. And then you have this predictable reaction. And I just want you to notice the anomaly here and what Jeremiah says to the Lord in verse 6. Ah, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. Now, you can't call the Lord sovereign and then tell him he's got it wrong. Doesn't make any sense. (laughs) If he is sovereign in our lives, then he's the boss. And for Jeremiah to turn around and say, look, I can't speak. I'm too young. You got it wrong. Even though you're sovereign, can't possibly be the right interpretation of what's going on here. Jeremiah was getting it wrong. I don't know if you've ever said to the Lord whenever you've been asked to do something and you felt perhaps you, you, you should run some sort of errand for God as F.B. Meyer says about this passage and you begin to say to him, Lord, you got it wrong, you know, 
You got the wrong person. You remember Moses? You remember Moses saying to the Lord of the burning bush, exactly the same words really as Jeremiah, I don't know how to speak. So you better call my brother because he can talk. It's, it's exactly that perspective. I was asked to, after I'd done my preach on those three Sundays, my father approached me. He was superintendent of our Sunday school of about 100 at that time in the little church I went to. My father came to me one day and he said, Miss McMoran can't take her Sunday school class this afternoon because she's not well. You're going to have to do it. And I said, I can't do it. I said, what am I going to say to them? And my father said to me, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, yes. Tell them how you became a Christian. And there were these nine wee girls, rascals, about seven or eight years old. And I told them how I became a Christian. And then I looked around for help because there was still about another 40 minutes left. And they began to ask me questions. And then one thing that led to another. I can't do it. That's the number one qualification as far as God's concerned. If I can't do it, then he has to do it through me. And whenever I say to the Lord, I can't do it, I really should be saying to him, whatever it is you want me to do, you do it through me. The Apostle Paul, you remember, when he came to faith on the road to Damascus, when he met the Lord Jesus, the thing that he said to the Lord was, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? The Lord didn't actually bring us to himself so that we would sit in seats and do nothing. Each of us has a role to play. Each of us has a function. And to turn around to him and call him sovereign Lord and then say, you got it wrong. I'm only a child. I don't know how to speak. You can see how out of kilter that is. And that's really what the Lord points out to Jeremiah here in the following verses. Because this this call is very positive. And he says to Jeremiah, you'll notice verse 7 begins with a but. But the Lord said to me, don't say I'm, old, I'm only a child. Don't say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. And then the real reason for Jeremiah's reluctance comes in the next phrase. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. This is, this is just so delightful. You know, the Lord takes time with people that he wants to use. He keeps on prompting, he keeps on sort of emphasizing the various aspects that he wants them to portray in his lives. And the Lord, this sovereign Lord, says to him, don't say I'm only a child. This is imperative. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. So God's going to direct this young man's life in such a way that Jeremiah is going to do and speak what the Lord does and speaks. And I really had a, another major emphasis here. 
Because you and I, if we're going to be involved in what we commonly call the work, the work of the Lord, the, the, the business of winning men and women for Christ, we're going to have to talk about the Lord Jesus. You need to share your faith with folk. I need to share. It's hard. Of course it's hard. And the first once or twice you do it, you'll find yourself, I don't know what I'm going to say next. You know, this whole business of, of sharing your faith is so difficult because we don't speak. You know, it's really hard to share your faith if you don't speak. But when you begin to speak, you suddenly discover that the Lord puts words into your mouth and, and thoughts you hadn't thought of saying. You know, sometimes when I'm preaching, <laughs> it's maybe obvious, sometimes when I'm preaching, I start sentences and I don't know what the end's going to be. Because you, you can't think the thing through and then phrase it so that it, it fits right. So every time I get on a platform, I, I have to trust the Lord that, that the words will come and there'll be a direction in the message which he knows. And I don't know. And I can remember the first time in my life when I began to move away from the notes I had made. And I thought to myself, I have no idea where this is going. And it was a real blessing. A blessing to others as well as to myself. Because you suddenly realize then that it's not what you say that makes the difference. I want to tell you a story. I was preaching in Black Dog. Anybody know where Black Dog is? Yeah? Well, it's out in the middle of nowhere. In fact, it's not far from no man's land. But anyway, um, I was preaching in Black Dog one week and I was asked to preach on the life of Jacob. And on the Thursday night, towards the end of the week, I was preaching, uh, just started to preach, and a lady came in, and she sat down, there was only a couple of seats at the front, she sat down right in the front row. And uh, I finished the message, she went to the door, and this lady spoke to me on the way out. And she said, I just wanted to tell you, I became a Christian while you were preaching. I said, you What? Because I was preaching about this reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. I thought. But God was speaking to her through four phrases. Because I asked her specifically, what was it brought you to the Lord? And she quoted four phrases, word perfect, that were just throwaway phrases from my point of view. I mean, the longer I preach, the, the more I recognize how little I have to do with it. And so these four phrases had just spoken to this woman and she was absolutely clearly converted she said to me she said I was on my way down to see my sister in Hatherley and she said I was driving through the lanes and I had the windows of the car down and I heard people singing and she said I suddenly recognized there was a church nearby and it was early for my sister so I thought I'd just come into the church she said I thought there'd be more singing she came in just at the start of the preaching and uh I said, well, I suppose you're disappointed about that. But, but she had come in just because she heard the singing. She thought. But God had brought her there, God had brought her there that night. And I didn't know anything about her. And if she hadn't been late for, uh, early for her sister, she wouldn't have come in. And you begin to see how God works in people's lives just by setting things into position. And she came to the Lord that night. And you and I, so often when we're in circumstances, perhaps we're, we're trying to talk about the Lord Jesus, but we think we have to say all the right things. 
All we need to talk about the Lord is what we know about him. You know, the difference he's made in our lives, the, the way in which he stepped into our circumstances and situations. And the Lord can use that. It, it's, it's such an, I was going to say, efficient way of proselytizing. Just being what you are and saying as the Lord puts words into your mind, but talking about him and the difference that he has made in your living. And so the Lord says to Jeremiah, you must go to everyone I send you. Say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them. Now, I want to, don't put your hands up. But I want to ask you how many times you've been afraid to talk about the Lord. Why? Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid to say what you know of me. I am with you and will rescue you. I am with you. One of the great promises which the Lord Jesus made to his disciples towards the end of his time on earth was this. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Lo, I am with you always. Hebrews chapter 12. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. The great God, this God of glory, this God of creation, this God of eternity, this God who loves you and me, this God who gave a son for you and me, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. Don't be afraid. I am with you. And I know rightly that sometime this week I'll be tested I'll be tested on what I've preached to you this morning. Am I really recognizing that this God is with me? Do I really recognize some of his capability? That he can deal with circumstances which are way beyond my control? I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And for 40 years in Jeremiah's experience, the Lord rescued him. And then for another 12 years, when Jeremiah was in Egypt, and continue to preach, the Lord rescued him. Fifty-two years, his prophecy extends to. Notice here, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See today, and this is amazing. This is a twelve-year-old lad. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, tear down, destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So four elements of destruction in relation to what's going to happen to the nations as Jeremiah prophesies. And as I've already mentioned in my introduction, the, the, the Jewish nation was destroyed during this period, pulled apart. Temple was destroyed. This great temple that Solomon had built, supposed to be the most beautiful in the world at that particular time in history. It was flattened. There wasn't a stone left upon another. It had to be rebuilt under Haggai's prophecy a bit later on in the Old Testament. But here is a situation where as this 12-year-old becomes a 52-year-old during his 40 years of ministry, as the Lord speaks through him, it's the Lord who appoints him. 
to bring about this overthrow of kingdoms and uprooting and tearing down and to build and to plant. And I want to suggest to you that the word of the Lord does that. You know, it tears down the, the things that we construct within our lives. But he keeps on building and he keeps on planting. His word takes root in our hearts. His, the building which he has designed for our lives to become, the word of God brings that to fruition in our living. That's why the word is so important. And you'll notice that from the, the words that are said here. And finally, I want to just touch very briefly on Jeremiah's vision. What do you see? What do you see? A very wise lecturer I had when I was 20 years old said to me, Peter, when you're going to preach, have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. In other words, one has a bearing. The world events has a bearing within the scripture as we read it. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree. Now, an almond tree was the first fruiting tree in Judah. It's the tree which first fruited. And the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. You see, the word of God will be fulfilled. I sometimes wonder as a, as a Christian of my generation, if I really believe that. If the word of God, the, the fact of the return of the Lord Jesus is, is really part of my thinking. If I truly recognize he could come back today. Or that he might take me home to be with him today. You know that my days are in his hand. And the, the, the reality of this, I'm hastening my word to fulfill it. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the, all the peoples of the northern kingdoms. One of the aspects of Jeremiah's ministry, which he found really difficult, was the fact that it was a message of judgment which he had to bring. In fact, you'll remember in, verse, in chapters 18 through 20, Jeremiah says, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm going to keep quiet. And the word of the Lord was like fire in his bones. You remember that passage? Because he couldn't, he couldn't not preach it. But he hated the fact that he was preaching constantly judgment. And that message begins next week as we look at chapter 2 together. But right from the start of his ministry, he had to tell these folk they were out of touch with the Lord and they needed to get back in touch with him. And they kept rejecting it and rejecting it and rejecting it and rejecting it and rejecting it until Nebuchadnezzar knocked the walls down and took them all captive. It's a, it's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing, thing to reject the word of the Lord because we don't like bits of it. Let's pray together, shall we?
Father, we ask this morning that you will help us to recognize the immediacy of the things which you say to us. You help us to be aware that this is your word and not which you speak from yourself as valuable for us in relation to our development as Christian men and women and in our particular aspects of life as we trust and serve you. And we pray that you will maybe help us to see afresh just how significant and relevant your word is. You help us to recognize its immediacy and help us to follow you day by day. So we submit ourselves again to your authority and ask your blessing as we reflect on these things in Jesus' name. Amen.